Kalofalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Loingo, or Susana Suisuiki. Coming up. Fiji's Great Council of Chiefs returns after 16 years. Also, support for the construction and the operation of a specialist hospital. India's Prime Minister arrived in PNG with deep pockets. And later on, there's a growing buzz around the Pacific with beekeeping. Don Wiseman has that story. As Typhoon Mawa barrels towards Guam, people on the ground as well as in Rota Island and Northern Marianas are urged to seek shelter. The U.S. National Weather Service says tropical storm force winds will likely continue until early Thursday morning, but conditions should improve around sunset tonight. Caleb Fotheringham has more. Guam is bracing for a direct hit from Category 4 Typhoon Mawa, with the eye of the storm on track to travel directly over the island on Wednesday afternoon local time. The typhoon's maximum sustained wind speeds are expected to remain at 225 kilometres per hour, with gusts reaching 282 kilometres an hour while it passes through. The National Weather Service office in Guam this morning warned of a triple threat of torrential rain, catastrophic winds and life-threatening storm surges. Fiji's Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka has reassured people, as the country's Great Council of Chiefs is reinstated, that all races in the country will be treated as equal on his watch. The council, regarded as the apex of traditional Fijian leadership, was discarded by the former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama following his 2006 coup, calling it a racist institution. But on Wednesday, 16 years since it was removed, the GCC was returned under the tenure of Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka's coalition government. Elisa Tora has the story. That was the presentation of the Angwano Vakaturanga by the men of Tautata village in Tailevo. Speaking at Mbau Island, where the reinstatement of Fiji's Great Council of Chiefs took place, Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka said the day's events should allay any fears or doubts people in the community have about their place in Fiji. They will uh, no longer have any fear now that they have the assurance of coming from the church and the Mbokelevo Kuran and the government. They should not have any fear at all of being treated as equal citizens of the Britain. A big part of today's ceremonies were about reconciliation and healing. In presenting the government's apology, or Mataningasau, to the chiefs, the acting commissioner for the Native Lands Commission, Apimeleki Tola, said the government is seeking the chiefs' forgiveness for what had transpired 16 years ago. Maramambale Narokotu Nriketi Rote Mumukepa accepted the apology and said the chiefs have forgiven what had transpired and released blessings on the government and its civil service in their service to Fiji and her people. Fiji President Ratu Williame Katunivere said the chiefs meet today in a new dawn and they needed to welcome those who make up Fiji's multicultural society and have made Fiji their home. Ratu Williame said we are chiefs in our own right, we have subjects, we are inheritors of our land, sea and its flora and fauna. As we meet, we bring with us the hopes and the needs of our people and our land. 
that depend on our vision in unifying our wise deliberations that shall lead to inclusive decisions that encompasses all that we treasure as a people and a nation. Fiji Itauke Affairs Minister Ifremi Vasu explained that the chiefs gathered on Bau Island this week are operating in caretaker roles as members of the GCC. The future composition and structure of the Great Council of Chiefs will come from a national review process that is still underway. Well, this is uh, just um, the standing, just for them to come and hear the recommendation from the GCC review team. The actual GCC will come up from the review team. A noticeable absence from today's proceedings were members of the opposition Fiji First Party, whose president, Frank Bainimarama, was responsible for de-establishing the council in 2007. The Minister of Itauke Affairs says all were invited and all sent in their apologies for not being able to attend. The first official sitting of the Great Council of Chiefs in 16 years will continue through to Thursday, and chiefs are expected to hear from the GCC review team on some of their findings so far. The challenge ahead for the council is walking the talk in reinventing itself as an inclusive institution that exists for all Fijians. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has announced support for all 14 Forum for India-Pacific Islands Cooperation, or FIPIC, members. The summit was held in PNG on the same day as the U.S.-Pacific meeting. Lydia Lewis was in PNG and spoke with Pacific Islands Forum Chair and Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown following the announcement. Well, the India summit was, um, you know, quite a... I'd have to say Prime Minister Marape was... Um, you know, to be commended for pulling these two meetings together and being able to do them on the same day. With India, the opportunity for Pacific leaders to uh, voice their issues that they felt in the region so that India was aware of what it was. India made a couple of um, very uh, generous announcements um, at that summit by Prime Minister Modi, and I'm not sure whether you've seen them, but uh, they include support for the construction and the operation of a specialist hospital for the region that will be based in Fiji. This is a cardiac hospital. Uh, They are also looking to contribute and establish dialysis units on each of the Pacific Island countries, uh, as well as desalination plants for drinking water on each of the countries, uh, solar projects that will be provided for a government building on each of the countries, and also a supply of sea ambulances uh, for each of the countries. So they've come, come uh, up with uh, you know, real support on the area of health uh, towards the country, as well as um, the provision of a number of scholarships that will be divvied out over the next uh, few years, basically for the IT area of, uh, of qualifications. So you know, a, quite a remarkable announcement really by, by Prime Minister Modi in terms of the development assistance that he is pushing out to each of the, the uh, Pacific countries. And for the other Pacific leaders that you have spoken with, obviously such a short amount of time, so I'm sure you haven't managed to speak with everyone, but what was the reaction around the table? Well, I think the, the reaction by, by all of the uh, the leaders that were present was uh, uh, one of uh, you know grateful gratitude uh, to India, uh, you know as a country that is uh, the fourth largest economy in the world, but also 
uh, looking to lift as many of its people out of uh, out of poverty uh, to be able to provide this sort of support to the Pacific. It, it's really a tangible uh, demonstration of good South-South cooperation between India uh, and the Pacific Island countries. And Prime Minister Marate said in his uh, press conference on Monday that he wants to see India uh, as one of the big players in the region, so it's not just a duopoly. Does the Pacific see India as a big force in the Pacific? No, many of our countries have had good, close relationships with India, and India has provided development assistance in various forms uh, to our countries, uh, some of it in, in, in the form of small grants to assist uh, community projects, and these have been well-received in our country. Uh, and as an emerging economy, I guess, um, you know, India, uh, with a speciality also in the, in the ICT area, uh, is looking to promote and foster development uh, support to the Pacific Island countries. Um, and I think they will be a serious player as their economy is growing. Uh, but for us in the Pacific, we welcome the engagement of any development partner into our region in the spirit of collaboration, really, is, is where we look at uh, when we deal with our development partners, whether they be the US, uh, China, or our traditional partners, Australia and New Zealand, and now, of course, increasingly, India. Australia, New Zealand and the French Pacific Territories are not members of FIPIC. An Australian academic is hoping the first ever beekeeping congress in the Pacific Islands will foster the growth of family businesses in the region. More than 200 beekeepers from 10 Pacific countries are in Nandi and Fiji this week to network, share lessons and gain new skills and knowledge. Southern Cross University lecturer Dr Cooper Shruton is leading the project funded by Australia's Centre for International Agricultural Research, or ACIAR. Don Wiseman asked Dr Shruton about commercial beekeeping in the Pacific. Beekeeping is really common across the Pacific. I mean, we have, have honeybees in pretty well all Pacific Island countries. In terms of answering the question regarding commercial beekeeping, it really depends on how you define commercial beekeeping because we wouldn't see as many beekeepers, for example, how you'd classify commercial beekeeping in Australia or New Zealand. But that doesn't mean that it's not very important to livelihood. So on average, across the Pacific, beekeepers probably only have about 30 hives. But what the work that we've been doing through ACR really demonstrates and the research shows that the contributions to household incomes is really important. But there are a few beekeepers that have over 100 hives, absolutely. 200-odd beekeepers uh, at this meeting. What do you hope is going to come out of it? That's a really good question. I think one of the most important things is that we're coming together for the first time to learn and network and strengthen beekeeping industry skills and knowledge and partnerships and really try to build that specific beekeeping community. I mean, for the first time we've had some expert beekeepers that have been beekeeping for 30 years in their respective industries. They've got a wealth of knowledge and experience. They've just never been in contact. They've never known each other. So a strengthening of Pacific Island beekeeping communities and the connections there. And also we've got some outcomes where we're having roundtable discussions and developing policy briefs around best practice for beekeeping for development in the region and regional honeybee biosecurity and also what the future of beekeeping looks like in the Pacific. So there's some of the outcomes that we're hoping for. In parts of the Pacific, New Zealand has a significant problem, for instance, with varroa mite. Are there problems in 
other parts of the Pacific that you need to be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, they've got lots of different similar issues and, and Varroa is a really big problem for many Pacific Island countries. But there's also lots of other new and emerging pests and diseases and that sort of thing as well, which is an important part of the work that we're doing. So, for example, the world's all talking about Varroa mites. So there's many species of Varroa mites and they also have vectors with lots of different viruses. So knowing where they are and how they're impacting on bees is really important uh, more regionally. There's also pest and diseases we don't have in New Zealand. We don't have them in Australia yet, for example, tropolalaps mites, and they're just as damaging as varroa mites, and no one's really talking about them. So it's really important to try to raise the profile uh, of some of these pest and diseases in Pacific back home in Australia and New Zealand as well. Yeah, they've got a whole range of different pest and disease issues that they're facing. So this exercise that you're undertaking with this Beekeepers Congress, are you looking to grow the business, so to speak, across the region? The idea is to small to support uh, research that informs management practices for beekeepers and, and development programs and approaches to helping the smallholder beekeepers to improve the productivity and the profitability of their beekeeping businesses, and importantly, make beekeeping more uh, appropriate for smallholder households and make sure that they're inclusive. So, a key focus for the ACR Livestock Bee Team has really been to develop regional honeybee biosecurity research development capabilities. It's about capacity building as well and developing solutions to manage pests and disease and improve approaches to beekeeping for development in order to support family farmers. But I mean, improving community-based control of pests and disease in the Pacific that constrain production and trade of bees and honey and other bee products is super important and has direct benefits for both Australia and New Zealand as well. One of the big issues in New Zealand, I don't know if it's the case in Australia, is a lack of knowledge about the importance of bees in terms of their pollinating work. Is there a similar lack of knowledge across the island countries? Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily a lack of knowledge, but there's just a general lack of research to really inform how important honeybees are. I mean, like you said, in Australia, the beekeeping industry is worth about $256 million, but the contributions to pollination services are about $14.2 billion, and that figure is about you know, nine years old now. So, yeah, the honeybees play an incredibly important role in pollinating horticultural crops. But throughout the Pacific, we don't necessarily have really large-scale, broad-acre horticultural cropping systems. But that doesn't mean that the pollination services aren't really supporting a lot of smallholder households to have not just more fruit, but better quality fruit as well and vegetables. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. So from myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, till fast way forward.